This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row studios in the crap part of Soho and a slightly grey overcast day in West Hollywood, Roger, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, I feel your pain, David. You suffer for your art, mate. I do, I do. Can we, can we get the monkey out? The, well, not the monkey. It's the elephant, isn't it? Is it the elephant or the monkey or the goat? I get them all so confused. I've got all three waiting right here. Did you watch the royal wedding? I didn't. I didn't. Oh. I looked at the photos. Well, I, I looked at my daughters looking at the photos, and I saw the photos. What a great day for Britain, a great day for the Commonwealth, the great nation of Canada, the entire continent of America, a great day for the English-speaking world, Rog. Was it? Yeah. I couldn't give... Less of a crap. I really, I, I, I want to be clear. Yes, as many people have reminded me, I did broadcast the William and whatever her name is wedding for Morning Joe. They had, they had, in London, we did it. They had a rotating cast of experts, but they kept having me come on during the actual wedding because I was the only one who live on air would refer to Harry as the half-brother. Let's face it, nothing could possibly have happened at this royal wedding to make you care about it. But let's, let's think about <laughs> who we're talking about here. And let's think about the issues that mean a lot to us. Prince Harry is a veteran. He's someone who has stood up massively for veterans and Wounded Warriors, a charity which we've been aligned with, the Invictus Games. He has actually seen action as a prince of the realm. He's gone and seen action. He's passionate about the Anglo-American cause, uh, passionate about the cooperation between the British and American military, passionate about issues facing veterans. I think this is actually a prince. This is actually a ginger, Rog, who we can get behind and enjoy that he had a really happy day. It's big of you. And you, I, I like the way you're trying to align my self-interest. What, what you made me realise just listening to you, essentially implicitly, you made me realise I hate the royal family. Is that what you're saying? And that's probably not about them. It's probably quite a lot about you. I've learned a lot about this over how many, however many years we've been doing this. <laughs> it's all okay, Rog. Yeah. You don't have to feel worse about yourself unless that makes you feel better just by projecting it all on the royal wedding. Here's what. I realised I take the Will Ferrell broadcast, which is quite fantastically brilliant. I, I do hate that the royals get all that taxpayers' money essentially for, for nothing. You get to a certain age and you receive a dukedom. You're the, suddenly the Duke of Sussex, Earl of Dumbarton and Baron Kilkeel. I always wanted Kilkeel. I always covered his hit. But that to me should only really happen to real royal dynasties like the Poulis family. But <laughs> I do... I do understand i do i when i watch the highlights and i watched america react because america really reacts to the royals in a remarkable way and what i understood over this weekend is that many everyday citizens david they live their lives through the fairy tale seeming lives of the royals and the family you know you kind of fill any void in your life not your yours david but one's life through kind of harry and and Meghan, and, and the Duke of Edinburgh, and you can find meaning where maybe there's a lack of meaning. And what I realized is, for that, my life's already too full, Dave, because I've got uh, what the Royal Wedding do for other people, Premier League soccer does for me, uh, and more. I just say, what I realized watching Harry is that Jenk Tosin is my king. <laughs> okay. By the way, I just have to correct the record. The taxpayers' money is a drop compared to the amount of revenue that the royal family and pageantry like that brings in to the British uh, coppers. Biz Dev. Uh, every single way. Biz Dev. Rob. Biz Dev. Biz Dev. In other yeah. news, I'm not sure if you've heard, Dave, 
Yep. We've got a book. No, we don't. We We've do. got to stop talking about it at some point. It's only number 16 on Amazon at the moment. In sports encyclopedias. Uh, no, I think we own the sports humour encyclopedia category for, for reasons that we cannot quite fathom nor understand, Davo. The yeah. current Amazon top sellers list. We of are all books. Of all books, mate. Of all books. I mean, ahead of us in, in open water is the complete ketogenic diet for beginners. We're, nev- uh-huh. we're never going to catch up with that beauty. We're behind The Restless Wave, John McCain's book, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts, which really annoyed me. That's just ahead of us. And re- that was the same title that you wanted to call our book. It was. They, they got there first. I nixed it. I nixed it. We, I'm kicking myself. They are up there. But right now we are number 16, which is, I mean, we set out to destroy the publishing industry to be the death knell, the death rattle for the publishing industry. I think we, thanks to the GFOPs, I think, can we say we've done it? Yes, the Encyclopedia Blazer Tanaka, our love letter to the game we love in the country we love. Not strictly a World Cup book, Rog, but as I made the point in an interview just before we came on to do this podcast, the World Cup is not strictly about the World Cup. So why should our book be strictly about the World Cup? It is the perfect companion, though, to World Cup 2018. It's been out a week. And Jeff Bezos has already slashed the price. Bald recognised bald, which has propelled its frightening ride. To be candid, we have been blown away. We do not take it for granted the way you, dear GFOPs, have received the book, the photos that you've deluged us with via Twitter. I found it deeply deeply meaningful watching as you pose with the cover as you jam the book in your bathrooms heather o'reilly stuck her copy under a rickety table jason gay our friend at the wall street journal used his as cat litter for his pet moggy and your posting of photographs of your kids your children and yourselves at games i found it deeply deeply emotional seeing this book out in the world right david did Jason Gay use it as cat litter or as a dining table for his cat? I believe that that is more precisely uh, how he used it. I, I will say the other thing that's been moving is seeing you post your favourite pieces via the hashtag MIB least crap hashtag. <laughs> Another piece of JW genius. Um, we have received hundreds of entries to the least crap contest, which is you guys posting the entries that you actually really enjoy um, and are sharing. We're in the process of selecting our three favourites right now, all of whom will receive signed MIB um, World Cup jerseys, which were designed with our good friends at Adidas. I want to say I hate almost everything we do. I really, really do. It's an awful approach to life. I obsess always about the things we get wrong. But I do. I love, 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 love the book. And I love even more the delight with which you GFOPs are engaging with it. It makes my stagnant, rotting heart pump once more with what I think may be fresh, joyous energy. I can't wait to see that. Where it expresses itself, Rog? I've never seen it from you before. It does make me, does remind me, Rog, that I do so much want to do, put the parts together digitally of the bits that were cut from the book, the bits that were too crap for even our crap book. Um, I just think that there's some gold in them, Dara Hills. Uh, now that the price has been reduced and Amazon is virtually giving the book away, Rog, please buy copies for your kids, parents, even your dentist, school crossing guards like books too, and introduce them to a love of the things that we all love in the Men in Blazers community. Thanks also to those of you who've taken a minute to drop a five-star review on the website that rhymes with Amazon. Believe it or not, it really, 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 really helps. We got, we got one one-star review from a very, it's worth reading, from a very angry Amazon consumer 
who is very annoyed that their Kindle is not working and thus gave us one star. It's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all our fault. Um, yeah. But your reviews have been hilarious, warm, wonderful, and they make me laugh, David, like this one from Harriet and Naylor. Yeah, five out of five stars she gives it in her review titled Inspired Me to Climb Everest, uh, Harriet wrote. <laughs> Although not quite reaching the heights of Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, which is what we were going for, this book is verging on a flawless work of art. <laughs> that is only because of the artwork included, not so much the writing. However, one thing this book does well is inspire hope amongst its readers. The hope that two very average, untalented, middle-aged men can produce in their chronically depressed followers. If these two men can write a book, well, I'm off to run an ultramarathon and climb Mount Everest. Because with Encyclopedia Blazitanica, it's proved to me that anything is possible. <sighs> Thank you for middle-aged. I didn't know it extended to 52. Thank you. Oh, keep adding your reviews. They help, 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 help the book. It takes a second. And, and if you can add to the Amazon word cloud... Um, of your reviews that already includes the words crap and tweed as, <laughs> as the two most popular words used in reviews. Keep sending us your photos of you using the book for the power of good as toilet paper, as firewood, as everything apart from, you know, a good book with hashtag MIB better than reading it. And we will have one more signed MIB Adidas World Cup jersey for the best MIB better than reading tweets. Send a picture of the book being put to some alternate use uh, with oh. that hashtag we can't wait to see what your devious fairly sick minds come up with also rog men in blazers across america our world cup tour tickets went on sale <sighs> friday for brooklyn philadelphia and boston those are three magical kingdoms with remarkable footballing traditions it's our honor and delight to be able to celebrate nights of world cup wonder in your loving embrace with local footballing loving guests beers and Pies. We've just gotten word that our Boston show, Rod, July 11th at the Sinclair is sold out. Yep. A very limited number of tickets remain for Brooklyn. That's July 2nd at the Music Hall of Williamsburg. <sighs> and Philadelphia, that's July 6th at the Theatre of Living Arts. I think there's a handful left. I can't believe Boston sold out so quickly, Dave. I'm imagining Katie Nolan's whole family just brought the place and they're going to resell <laughs> on StubHub. St. Louis also sold out. God, I cannot wait to kick off the tour there. We have Josh Sargent uh, joining us and also Anthony Poulis of the great Royal Poulis dynasty. There yeah. are 10 tickets, 10 tickets as we pod left for San Francisco uh, where we're going to be live on stage with the great Billy Bean, the Alec Baldwin of Men in Blazer. I think our most um, regular guest in the eight years of Men in Blazer and we're going to be live on stage with the great Billy Portland, Seattle on the 16th and 17th. Those two oh, remarkable jewels. Tickets still available there, all via meninblazers.com. I cannot wait to get out and see America. We had an amazing time this week at the Golden Blazer, which you mm -hmm. may have sullied your ears with on the podcast that J-Dubs dropped midweek, the fifth annual Golden Blazer. We'll say, Dave out. To be with GFOPs who flew in from all over the country, all over the world, Adam Kirshner flies in from Bahrain. Bahrain. Bahrain every year to be with us. And to honour, to honour, you said ennoble Rob Stone, didn't you? You said to me, we yeah. ennobled Rob Stone. It was really an amazing evening. It was, it was, it was moving. Um, it's been a long time since we honoured a man at the Golden Blazer. And Rob Stone, I think, a very underrated broadcaster. What he does is so difficult. I said on the night, you can count on one hand 
the men on American television, the women on American television, who can anchor multi-sports, truly anchor multi-sports. Rob is one of them. His passion for the game of soccer, the world's game, his passion for the American game. He's been there long before it was fashionable, long before it was trendy. He's been so consistent. He's got better and better and better at his craft. And I think uh, come this summer, he's going to blow people away with what he does at the World Cup. Watching him wander onto stage with an enormous bottle of Jägermeister attached to his lips. God, I honestly forgot how much I love Jägermeister. It's the taste. It is the taste of German glory, which is a hint of the World Cup future. It was a night of wonder, true honour to celebrate with him, with Lalas, Landon Collins and Big Cat, to more, to GFOPs, to you, Davo, to more great nights in the weeks ahead, to being together, to making memories. And we're off to LA this week, Davo. Yeah, we are. I should quickly say, though, Rog, I also made a stop on the tour at my kids' first grade classroom at St. Luke's School uh, in, uh, in the West Village in New York, played to a packed house. Most of the questions <laughs> were about dragons because I made the mistake of, of when I showed the flag of England talking about uh, St. George and the, why he became a saint and because of his slaying a dragon. So at that point, I pretty much lost control of the World Cup presentation. <laughs> it was mainly about dragons for or against. Uh, exist or non-existence one of my favorite david if you don't understand david was speaking invited to his son's first grade class to give a briefing on the world cup my favorite was the kid who you asked what does he like does he like football and he said no i like well no is it better than that he was he was his he revealed once we went through the group with russia in it that his mum was russian and then we went through the group with poland in it that his dad was polish and i said this is so great you can cheer for either Russia or, World Cup or Poland in the World Cup, or you can cheer for both. And he just looked at me and he said, I'm really only mainly interested in castles and hieroglyphs. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, respect. We need to cover more castles and hieroglyphs on the podcast. I think that's been Alvaro Morata's problem this season. He's really, at the end of the day, only interested in castles and well, hieroglyphs. He's going to have a lot of time to go and see things. He didn't make the Spain World Cup squad. As we will discuss this week, we're coming to LA. Already here, Rog, waiting for you. The crowds, they're already gathered outside Mahus in the crap part of West Hollywood. And uh, everybody, the bated breath, the anticipation for us to go and be at the Ace Hotel on Saturday night, the Ace Theatre. It's going to be a night of nights, Rog. We're going to be with James Corden on Thursday, uh, shooting with him. You're going to be at the LA Galaxy game on Friday. I think I'm coming with you. And then we'll be at the Ace on Saturday night. We'll be having a post-show drink afterwards. Stay tuned to our social media for more information on that. I cannot wait to host you in my adopted hometown of Los Angeles, Roger. Let's pod, David. Okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to break down a spite-fueled, sneer-filled FA Cup final that saw Chelsea beat Man United (laughs) 1-0 at a sun-drenched Wembley. We're going to preview this weekend's high-octane Champions League final between... Liverpool and Real Madrid, a proper cup final, Rog. And Rog eulogises Big Sam after an acrimonious <laughs> Everton tenure. Plus, we break down a fresh out-of-the-box England squad to the football. Oh, I want to raise this fine can of Budweiser to a remarkable woman who was brought to my attention by dozens of UGFOPs who all sent me this same Daily Mail article about her. It's about the world's oldest woman. Her name uh-huh. is Koku Istanbulova. Uh-huh. She's from Chechnya. She's 128, about to become 129. No. And the reason I love her is that in the interview with the Daily Mail, who I'm sure dispatched to Chechnya for this interview, they're probably one of their elite journalists, their investigative yeah. reporters. The great quote was, I've been miserable every day of my life, and I believe my long life is a punishment from God. <laughs> 
<laughs> and for some reason, can't guess what it is, reading that approach to life from her mouth, Dave, several times this week, I've, it's been a bit dark for me, a bit challenged, a lot going on at the moment, a bit overwhelmed. And when I needed a pickup, Coco Istanbulova, I just want to raise this bud to you, blood fam, bud fam. Uh-oh. Happy 129th birthday. It's very yeah. reassuring that someone else is hating every second. I will guarantee you, dear listeners, that Coco Istanbulova is an Evertonian. Too right. Okay, Chelsea, one, Man United, nil, Rog, nervy, tight, cup final fair, sees Chelsea get one over on their former boss, Jose Mourinho. The difference, peak Phil Jones, the modern Prometheus, lunged in on Eden Hazard. By the way, that's an insult to the word lunge, providing an Edvard Munch quality Phil Jones face and gifting Chelsea a penalty that a very tan Eden Hazard coolly converted. Despite some second-half chances, United... We're really never able to break through, Rog. They end the season trophyless. Meanwhile, despite sitting at the head of English football's most dysfunctional dinner table, Antonio Conte ends his second season in charge once again with silverware. I will say for the neutrals, choosing whom to support in this one, it's a bit like when you watched as a kid, I don't know if you remember the Iran-Iraq war waging every night on the news with like Saddam Hussein on one side and the Ayatollah on the other. I, I was always so confused. Like I never quite knew as the battlefront shifted backwards See, and forwards. I've got to stop you we were rooting for. I've got to stop you because, number one, you tweeted from the Men in Blazers feed yeah. like that this was a battle of two evils yeah. and which evil do you go and support? The neutrals. Okay. It was a whole thing about evil, basically calling me and anybody who follows... No, I said for neutrals. Secondly, I read the responses, Rog. They were overwhelmingly... For once, at last, at last, they were overwhelmingly anti-Man United and for Chelsea. It wasn't like the Iran-Iraq war, Rog. It was, I think, the neutral yes. for once yes. ever yes. was backing Chelsea. Which may be Jose Mourinho's greatest trick is that he has made Chelsea likable in comparison to something. Because I can't agree more with you, Davo. He has. He has. And the outcome, the outcome on the day was right because Chelsea, compared to this United side, seemed plucky scratchy, kind of overachievers. It, it was an eyesore of a game. It was a nervy start. It was hard work for the neutral. Sloppy fare unfurled by two teams set up to nullify each other in the early exchange. I think safe to say both managers feared losing more than they actually set out to win. If a game ever needed a goal, David, would you agree it was this one? I mean, look, I think it's not only Jose Mourinho who's done that. I think Antonio Conte is a fairly likeable guy and I think he's assembled a team of fairly likeable guys. And so I don't think it's only Mourinho. And I think they played Man United the way that you have to go and play Man United. They play a very disciplined, if dull, form of football. They complete a lot of passes. They don't show a lot of threat going down the middle. They get the ball out wide. The number of crosses that Man United are sending in. And Chelsea are very, very well built to defend against that game. And Golo Kante had a blinder. The amount of work he was doing, the goal was needed. Phil Jones brings down Eden Hazard in what could possibly be his last game ever in the blue of Chelsea. Yeah. Um, doesn't get anywhere near the ball, just as players haven't got anywhere near the ball against Eden Hazard all season. And he steps up and converts. It was an amazing moment. I mean, credit Cesc Fabregas for casually dispatching an exquisite ball down the right channel. And Hazard, as he so often does, just suddenly snapped to life, controlled it. I've watched it over and over, controlled it so effortlessly, beautifully and then charged in on goal. Phil Jones followed him. The only time I've seen any kind of pursuit like this was in like the Blues Brothers car chase scene, where those like 
hundreds of old American, what are they? The Dodge Monaco's, the old police cruisers, driven by specialist stunt drivers, followed, <laughs> followed the Blues Brothers, and just one controlled crash after another happened. And you knew, as soon as that foot race began, as hard pursued by kind of Sheriff Coltrane, what was his name in the Dukes of Hazard? you knew it was only going to end one way, a Phil Jones face of doom and humiliation. And all credit, Phil Jones, because he didn't let us down. I realised in my game notes, I wrote, there's grave diggers who've dug fewer holes than Phil Jones has for the teams that he plays on. And he's again an England World Cup squad member. Oh, I hope Gareth Southgate was watching. He is the single worst defender since Rudy Giuliani went on all those Sunday shows. As he sat there on the floor, having given away that penalty, the look on his face just of astonishment and oops I did it again it was like both he and I were both having the same thought at the exact same time I was thinking it Phil Jones realised it in that moment yep Phil Jones he's going to become an Everton player I've got no doubt about it yeah it seems certain it does seem we're going to talk about Hazard though clinical from the spot like Adam Vinatieri with a point after I'm not saying Davo I'm not saying Chelsea are a one man team but bloody hell your team, they do seem to go as the Belgian big bottom small goes. And now you see all these links. He's going to Real Madrid. He's going to Man City. He's going. Complete this sentence, Davo. Chelsea without Eden Hazard are... Challenged. But having said that, Chelsea do play. And if you follow Chelsea week in, week out, Chelsea play quite a lot of games without Eden Hazard. Chelsea find a lot of ways to score. Chelsea have scored more headed goals in the Premier League than any team this year. And I think they only got one uh, from Eden Hazard. They do have other weapons. They do find other ways to go and get there. But you're right. Eden Hazard will be a great loss to this Chelsea team. Very hard to replace. So certainly they got the money to attempt to do so. Chelsea without Eden Hazard. They're like Queen without Freddie Mercury. You know, they're still touring. God bless them. Still playing the hits. They're not quite as creatively interesting in any way, shape or form. They then drop back. Yeah, United onto them. There was confidence in amongst the Chelsea back line. There was organisation. But it was a hopeless United they were playing. Sean, the injured Lukaku, the psychologically scarred Rashford, the eager Lingard, the clinically depressed Sanchez. Not a single shot and goal in that first half. What has, because you're an expert on the English psyche, you're an expert on Jose Mourinho, what has Jose done to young Marcus, so effervescent when he came through as an 18, 19-year-old? What has happened? Well, look, he challenges his players, and particularly his wide players, and that's where Rashford plays most of the time under Mourinho. He challenges them to play a very, very different form of football. Alexis, even, who plays more centrally, is challenged by Mourinho in terms of the way he asks them to play. He wants you to focus defensively more than you focus going forward, and I think it's got into Rashford's head. He's constantly, you feel when you watch him play, that he's constantly worried about positionally where he's meant to be rather than expressing himself uh, on the football. Yeah, he looks like a college grad who's like all the promise of youth has just been kicked out of him by real world problems. It's really dark as someone that loved his effervescent confidence. I'll just say the puberty process, not being kind to him. God love United, as they want to do after awful, awful first halves, of which they've had many this season. They did pick up the intensity and the forward motion in the second. He had Young flinging himself at defenders, Sanchez griping. Uh, Pogba missing an absolute sitter unmarked from a corner with the goal at his mercy. I'll be honest, I was almost gratefully missed because I couldn't have stomached injury time. I've rarely enjoyed a game of football less than this one. Final whistle for the neutral. 
bit of an act of mercy. Describe your emotions, David, at the end. Chelsea winning things pleases Michael Davis. They won things. What did you feel? Number one, Rog, it's way better winning things than losing things. Last yep. year, we lost the FA Cup final. And this year, it felt better to win it than it felt to lose it last year. Winning trophies is the point of football. It is the point. It's why we have leagues. It's why we have cups. It's why we have competitions. And so it's a good thing to win things. And I think you could tell, even though it was sort of underplayed on the US broadcast, definitely if you watch the British broadcast or if you watch the stuff that was shot in the dressing rooms or behind the scenes after the game, this meant a lot to the players. These players have had a long, hard season. It's been a disappointment for the manager. I think this means a lot, yeah. certainly. Yeah. This is the manager he was playing against. And it's, it's managed to put a piece of silverware at the end of a season that, frankly, is sort of forgettable. Yeah. And yet it won't be forgotten now because in the annals we won the FA Cup. And Conte will be able to melt it down and sell the silver for value when he moves back to Italy. But you could see, you're right at the final whistle, him reeling away in just the relief, the euphoria of victory. For the record, also a hug between Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, a bit like Michael Corleone and, and Frido. We asked you GFOPs what you thought was whispered between them. My favourite was um, at Jack3, who tweeted, Jose saying, I gave birth to you, Antonio. Remember that. You are my bastard son. It's because of me that you won this game, but it was not my fault that United lost, so you did not technically beat me. It was a crazy hug, Davo. One coach almost certainly leaving that many fans want to stay, Antonio Conte. One man staying that many fans at United want to leave, Jose. It was odd. It felt like it was, it was the end. That hug was Conte putting an exclamation mark, a, a, a period on this year of rancor between the two managers and saying, hey, this was a nice way for me to end. I got to go and win the FA Cup final and beat you. It doesn't feel over for Jose Mourinho. Uh, and afterwards, his comments after the game, even I, as a as a as a Mourinho, uh, a Mourinhoologist, a Mourinho fan, did not expect him to come out and say uh, that he really Chelsea, with the way they played, didn't deserve to win. Yeah, was it was. A, I mean, you can have to admire Jose Mourinho's ability to keep a straight face in his post-match press conference while complaining about Chelsea's negativity, their physicality, that they only played long balls for Giroud to flick. When you play against a team that's so predictable, and then within a second he was complaining about how much Manchester United missed Fellaini. I will say, Mourinho calling someone else predictable, negative and physical is like me complaining that somebody else is depressing. I feel that United, we've talked a lot this season, especially the second half, too much to be candid about their stasis under Mourinho. Yeah, they came ahead of Liverpool in the league. I do believe football fans ultimately want to monitor evidence of progress. And there's not been enough at United. And in the heart of hearts, I think United fans must know, as Jose enters his third season, he's not a manager who is a long-term builder. He never has been. And here's the question I'm trying to think about now. Watching this squad, watching Jose poke blame at individual players, snipe at them as he does. Who would want to move to Manchester United in this offseason after looking at Jose's incoming transfers and how they fared? You've got Mkhitaryan, who's gone. Zlatan, gone. Baye currently on the naughty step. Lindelof, scapegoat. Pogba, just a turbulent, erratic relationship. Sanchez, really depressed 
You've got Lukaku, you've got Matic especially prospering. If you were an agent for an elite player, Davo, would you be looking to put your client down in Mourinho season three as a nurturing locker room for your client? Yeah, I don't know how much time you spent around football agents, Rog. <laughs> <laughs> that's not really, that, those are not really the conversations. Oh, talking about clubs in transition, at Steve Lear tweeted about Antonio Conte. Congratulations on the win, Antonio. Now clear out your office. I know you love him. I love him too. I see, I see a man who imparts the tenacity of a winner upon the culture that's around him, who's been undone by the kind of politics, the incredible backroom, almost Kremlinology that works at mm-hmm. Chelsea Football Club. But it's your club. How, how do you think about this man? I mean, look, I think Conte is my favourite manager we've had there. I like the style of football they play under him. Um, I enjoyed this cup final, Roger, not just because Chelsea won. I like this version of football that Chelsea play. It's a combination of spine. It's solid tackling, solid in the air. They get the ball down the wings and they cross it. And we've got players who can finish with their head. And Hazard is something special. I enjoy watching this team play football. I enjoy the way he plays. I think they're physical, but I don't think they're a dirty team. Uh, I think they play good football. It's going to be tough. You know, I've gone through a season where... I love the team. I love the manager. I don't particularly like the club right now. And I think everybody goes through phases like this with their, with their football clubs, even Liverpool fans. There was a time when you didn't like your club. Uh, there was a time in October when they wanted Klopp to leave many of the Liverpool fans. I don't see it so much as about Abramovich. I see it a little bit more about that group of people he has running the club under him and the fealty they expect from the manager to Abramovich rather, and to them, rather than to the fans and the team. But clubs are interesting ecosystems, Rog. And you just, if you lose the fans, as these people are trying to build global brands, it's just, it's a problem. And Antonio Conte had the fans, and you don't get the chance that many times. It's not an inexhaustible, inexhaustible well of love that comes to the fans of the team. You can't do anything with the team. You just can't do it. You know, for me, watching Antonio Conte come in as a winner and, and, and end up as he has, again, as a winner, but in between some ugliness, it was like the descent of a mad cleric. He came as a visionary, inspirational, charismatic leader for a man whose passion and will to win is kind of being ground down before our eyes. He's, he's leaving almost hollowed out. A winner, yes, but, but broken. I found it fascinating. At the end, he was vindicated in his last press conference. He said, it's been a difficult season, but I've showed that I'm a serial winner. I actually think his English is bad, and he meant to say that I'm a serial killer. Uh, (laughs) But the line I loved was, there's a possibility with this group of players this season, we did the maximum. And I think he has. He has. It's it's astonishing, really. If you look at Maratta, Bakayoko, Drinkwater, Rudiger, Zappacosta, Ross Bloody Barkley, who dressed up in his Chelsea kit to get a medal, having played for 70 minutes in the fourth round. I mean, that's just me hating and besides the point, there's really a mid-table squad, Davo, and he turned them into winners. And I think he leaves as a bloody alchemist. I think that's fair. Not particularly fair to Willie Gallo, who I think is a backup. who's <laughs> been great this season. And Rudiger, actually, who I don't think deserves to be listed amongst those other players. I think Rudiger's actually had a pretty good season in his, in his role on a team with some very, very good central defenders. He does have some very good players there. They played pretty well against the top six, like a lot of teams at the top, which is why they didn't challenge against Man City. They just didn't get the results against the lower teams and had some very, very strange ones, Rog, some very, very strange losses. 
uh, for this team, including as recently as last weekend, that awful loss at Newcastle. Eighth FA Cup final win for Chelsea. Uh, I will say this game to me was played in the shadow of Manchester City, even though they were not on the field. And you kind of hinted at it. The FA Cup used to, used to, when we were growing up, be one of the biggest games of the year. Couldn't feel less important in the modern game. And I spent the whole 90 minutes just being like, bring on next week's Champion League. Bring it on. Can't wait for that. A matchup with more offense than the 07 Patriots versus the 0304 uh, Dallas Mavericks. Ronaldo as Tom Brady, Bobby Chompers and Mo Salah as Nash and Nowitzki. Liverpool versus Real Madrid from Kiev this Saturday, Rog. Oh, Liverpool, the Vegas Golden Knights of Champions League play. You could make that case, kind of, not kind of. But a team nobody thought would be there, propelled by passion, pressing, risk-taking and collective ebullience, facing a Champions League final fixture. Yes, a Champions League final bloody fixture, Real Madrid, who have, and this is, we keep repeating this, but to, when you think about this, this is, this is a sensational feat. Real Madrid have appeared in three of the last four finals, winning each time. It's, it's, it's an astonishing, it's an astonishing sporting achievement. How are you feeling about it? I think it's going to be so interesting. And I think for Liverpool fans, I was up at my golf club this weekend, full of Liverpool fans, both my mates, members and staff. There are a lot of Liverpool people up there. I think that we're going to see something really interesting. I'm not sure we've seen this since the 1980s when Liverpool were last dominating European football. I think we're going to see an elite European side sit back against a, uh, an English side and let them play football and try and get them on the counter. And I think that's refreshing. It says a lot for where the game is coming in England and says a lot about this Liverpool team. So it's well said. I mean, it is a delicious spectacle for neutrals. I mean, both teams can counterattack peerlessly. So much, to me, is going to revolve around Liverpool's mental strength, whether they have it or don't have it. There's a, there's a sense of European trophy nearly man that kind of clings to Jurgen Klopp. He's lost the two major finals uh, that he's led his team out to. Real Madrid... They know exactly, they know exactly what it takes to win in this game. And here's what I fear if I'm a Liverpool fan. I can totally see, I can totally see Liverpool taking the lead. And to me, the mental question mark that would accompany that goal of having something precious to protect and only being able to protect it by doing what they know how to do, which is to keep coming at Real Madrid, will mean that they are so psychologically vulnerable you know, unless they my brother said, unless they score four or five goals in the first half, he's not going to relax. Ultimately, this is a game loaded with offensive talent, and it will be won, I believe, by the team that can make the best pretend effort to be able to defend. So I just say, Liverpool, I hope you make great memories for your fans. I hope Jurgen Klopp leads his team to glory. I hope they make memories that will last a lifetime for this Liverpool football club because the journey that they've been on, even I, who's a horrible person, can't say anything, but look at it with awe and astonishment. I could be so wrong, Rog, but I just don't see this game as a shootout. I don't see this like Liverpool versus Man City or the Roma games. I think this is going to be the way that a lot of the other teams, the elite teams in the Premier League, played against Liverpool this season and had some success against them. Is that It's going to be very, very defensive, cagey football and it's going to be one on the counter-attack. I think if Liverpool score first, they win it. I think if Real Madrid score first, they win it. Uh, I think it's that kind of a final. Oh, I'm going to watch it with you in LA, my love. 
Can't wait. Okay, uh, Everton, Rog. They get their result of the season finally by firing Big Sam after an acrimonious... By the way, going to news so far away from the Champions League. Six months at the club. As GFOP Dr. Zach 3 tweeted, it unfortunately appears as if Big Sam Boulevard was a dead end. Roger, the floor is yours. You know, all I can say is, ding dong, the witch is dead. That's how I failed, Dave, when I heard the news. Oh, the owner's still there, Rog. <laughs> oh, my God. And we wish him well. And we wish him wisdom in his decision-making. In my lifetime, no Everton manager has made less effort to understand exactly what makes this club tick, what Evertonian real fans hold sacrosanct, you know, tenacity, loyalty, passion, collective endeavour. Talking to people at the club, Big Sam actually seemed to revel in flouting all of those and almost goading the board to fire him, which gave him an $8 million payoff for less than a season's work. Unbelievable business by Big Sam, who slimes off after what's been for me an awful, existentially challenging six months. You know, he leaves with his rep as a survival specialist intact. He does what it says on the tin. Big Sam eats pies, respects no one. Your team will live, but their quality of life will be utter crap. I can only... Think about what this has felt like and describe to you, David. You may not be able to relate to this, but when your mother's dating a really awful man and everyone knows it's bad for her, no one will say anything because you don't want to upset her and they may stay together and you don't want to be the one that said the bad things. But the relief when they break up, David, I'll just say it's better than a trophy. (laughs) Of course, until you find out who's going to replace him, Rog. Some rumours out there that it could be David Moyes. Oh, yeah, I've got, I will say I've got mixed, mixed <laughs> feelings about uh, Moyes. We'll get to him in a second. I mean, I, I do want to say about Big Sam, you probably can't even, have you thought about Big Sam? Have you thought about Everton's predicament? Or has this just been just like headline news in, in kind of Bulgaria? It happens, but it never gets onto Davo's radar. I haven't spent a moment thinking about it. You haven't? No. Cause, so your partner, me, I, I, yeah. I don't like to be hyperbolic, but I feel right now how I imagine the Russians felt after the siege of Leningrad was lifted. You know, like we won, but oh my God, did we pay a terrible price. And we do have a problem. Our owner, Farhad Mashiri, he lives in London. He's like in a kingdom in exile. He's surrounded by his team of advisors. A little bit like a mini Roman Abramovich, wholly separate to all the employees of the club who are in Liverpool, and they've got no idea in Liverpool about the transfers and negotiations, big decisions he's making. So I would say, about the big Sam debacle and this utter lost season, I hope that the lessons are learned, that the values of Everton are recovered, that the club's identity, that's what you're talking about, about Chelsea, when you love the club but not its current reality. We're both talking about the identities that are at the heart of our love, just not being there. I will say for Everton... I don't have huge confidence that they will be. It's like a year on from the club's most expensive recruitment drive ever. And we're about to go through another complete overhaul. There's a new director of football, Marcel Brands, Dutch wonder, elbowed out the once hero, now sad-eyed Steve Walsh, who oversaw Leicester, but has just crapped out at Everton. And we're about to have a second revolution within, within 24 months with rumours Marco Silva is going to be our new manager. Not really a man... He is a change maker, but he's not really a great patient club builder, Davo. So I, I would say, full of fear, full of cautious optimism, full of desperate desire 
uh, for a new future. But I, I do fear that this club could spiral into flux, change, transformation and really lose sight of what we are and who we are. I mean, it's going to be a project, Rog, for whoever comes in. I mean, you said earlier, like, what are Chelsea going to do without Eden Hazard? I don't think Everton have got a player as good as Marcus Alonso, who probably is not within our top five, but a fantastic, you know, Premier League fullback who can knock in free kicks from anywhere and uh, and cross the ball with with efficacy. So I think Everton do have some very good young players. We talked about them before. You know, Tom Davis, he sort of seemed to take a step back this season. You know, Lookman, fantastic young player. They've got some players to go and bring through. But I think it's going to be a bit of a project. Uh, certainly, I think we expect a season next season better than this one. Marcus Alonso has a tattoo where he says, I'm just a Spanish Seamus Kilman. <laughs> you mentioned David Moyes. David Moyes, yes. yeah. Another Eeyore of the managerial ranks after securing... Premier League survival with his imbalanced, I would say, dispirited, disjointed squad let go by West Ham, who he joined on a short-term contract that he expected to be renewed. I, I loved his last words at the end of the season. He said, even Pep Guardiola took a bit of time to get his team right. That's mm. like me comparing myself to George Clooney and saying, even George Clooney doesn't look good when he rolls out of bed first thing in the morning, right? He does, he does, he does. I will say, to be a West Ham fan, David, and you know loads of them, to have gone from yeah. last, the last season at Upton Park, the optimism, the we got Dimitri Payet, the new stadium, the bold new economic future, and have it all revealed to just be castles made of sound, it, with, with Manuel Pellegrini, the favourite, to be the next gaffer. It, it, that has been a dark ride, and I feel for them. The one thing I would say, Roger, you did marry as well as George Clooney, but that's pretty much where the comparison <laughs> said. Okay, Rog, because last week was the Golden Blazer. We didn't get a chance to congratulate our Tugger winner for the season, K-Fan. What a legend, who 38 slash 38 of the way through this campaign reigns victorious. Congrats, K-Fan. It's a marathon, not a sprint. To international football, Rog, where countries around the world are releasing their World Cup rosters. I love this. It's like Christmas. And Rog, England, well, their squad, it's high on surnames, low on experience. Phil Jones and Gary Cahill notwithstanding, uh, filled with young, intelligent, quite likeable footballers. Yeah, 24 days till the World Cup begins. And England, the 23. I mean, it is the glow-up 23. We are playing. We've said play the babies. They're playing the babies. Only 11 members of the Euro 2016 squad still live within England's loving bosom. There's only, I think, five from the 2014 yeah. World Cup debacle on this squad. Trent Alexander-Arnold, delicious, beautiful going forward, slightly uh, more question marks going back, but called up for his first World Cup, age just 19. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I mean, he has more names than, than he does international experience. I, I believe Gareth Southgate probably tried to call up Carl Anthony Towns. You do look at that squad and you think, the absence of a top-level playmaker in midfield, David. Any playmaker in midfield. I mean, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is sort of the closest they've got, and he's not really... Jordan Henderson, maybe, but they're not really playmakers in the, in the sort of world football tradition. But it's look, I, I applaud Southgate. He's picked a side. He's picked the young players. I mean, only Ryan Sessegnon and Jaden Sancho would have been players that there was some clamouring to go and get in the game. I think people are impressed with what he's done. I think that head injury that Phil Jones got in the second half of the FA Cup final, I think a lot of people are hoping, you know, it's more serious <laughs> oh than it looks. Um, oh 
it just, 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 just enough to have Adam Lallana come into the squad. I yeah. would love to see. Yeah, but not, not, not enough to affect Phil Jones's quality of life long term. That's what you meant. No, no, no. Or his, uh, or his insane tackling uh, back in the penalty area. But I think it's quite an in- exciting squad. Do I think it's a squad built to go far in the tournament? No. Do I think it's a squad that can get out of the group? Yeah, maybe. And then last 16 draw, you've got to see where it is. Here's the thing about the World Cup. We've always got to remember every single year. If you get into the quarterfinals of the World Cup, pretty much anything on paper can happen. These are single elimination games played in neutral grounds, assuming that Russia aren't going to be one of the quarterfinal teams, which they could be, by the way, because there's massive home advantage. Um, It really could be anyone. It tends not to be anyone. It tends to be Germany and Brazil. More recent years, Spain, uh, until the last World Cup, were, were, were very, very good there. If you can get into those quarterfinals, pretty much anything should be able to happen. I did um, have a dream last night where I got very stressed that the England squad, despite all the youth in it, was still too old. And I'd like dreamt that I was shouting at Southgate, being like, mate, just take 12 and 13-year-olds, just like... Have a bomb, it's for age 23, and the future will be great if we can battle hard on our like, 11, 12-year-olds now, Dave. Just blood them in international play. It's actually not, not a wholly crazy idea. I mean, how old is Adamola Lutman and Jaden Sancho? Get them in. You mentioned Spain. 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 You mentioned yeah. Spain. No, Spain. Mar- no Maratta, no Alonso, no Sesk. Curse of Chelsea season. Belgium. Oh, they're pro bowl. They're pro bowl of a squad announced today and I do congratulate Roberto Martinez when he did come to Men in Blazers this season and sat down with with J-Dubs and myself we said you know you've really got to follow the success of Swansea with their IU brother strategy and I do I want to say Roberto Martinez listened and then doubled down on it not one but two Lukaku brothers not one but two Azar brothers somehow yeah. only one Benteke in there Dave I just yeah. say I'm raising this bud to brothers they are the future. Talking about the World Cup, we should say what a week we've had. We shot our World Cup previews this week, which will be up. Where will they be up, Davo? On? Yeah. Oh, Sony Crackle, Rog. Yeah. Sony yeah. Crackle. Yeah. Oh. All these years have been just been calling it Crackle. It's wrong. It, to give its full title. Yeah, it's like Loftus Cheek. It's Sony Crackle. <laughs> the series is Meninushenki. We had yeah. to wear Russian Cossack hats, which oh. I put on Twitter, and I did love all the comments that I've never looked more Jewish than wearing a <laughs> Russian Cossack hat, Davo. Uh, speaking of young rosters, Ross, the U.S. men's national team has called in 22 players with an average age of just 22 into camp for a friendly with Bolivia Memorial Day in Philadelphia. A homecoming of sorts for Hershey's own Christian Pulisic. It will be his first U.S. men's national team game since November. Yeah, Julian Green also back and two players I'm looking forward to watching in these games. Good, We're... Julian. Good, Good Julian. Julian. Yeah, Sarah Khan, if, if you're listening to us that's how you have to speak to him to bring the band i know you don't have a german accent but you have to fake one when you're trying to coach julian green just makes him feel a little more at ease we're yeah. looking forward to watching weston McKenney, and of yeah. course 18 year old josh Sargent, that ginger of wonder back from Werder bremen couldn't be more excited about him joining us live on stage in that youth development hotbed of st louis when we kick off the tour there on june 14th also i found it fascinating jürgen klinsman coming out of hibernation trying to brief the press uh, fairly enthusiastically right now, he said, I realistically saw a group of American players going into World Cup 2018 that could have got into the semi-final. I mean, you have to ask, why is Jürgen speaking to the press as often as he is right now? I would guess he's looking for the next job. I, I do believe he's been working on his Spanish. I actually spoke to a couple of the journalists 
who interviewed Jürgen, who said he did have his eyes on the Mexico job. Oh, my Lord, I would love that to happen. That would almost be too much narrative. Talking of narrative, Rog, in MLS. Big wins for both New York clubs with NYCFC beating a visiting rapid side 4-0. And last night, the Red Bulls got a 3-1 win over Eastern Conference leading Atlanta. In the Western Conference, Kansas City stay top with a draw at Minnesota. And the Timbers get a big 2-1 win over LAFC on Network Fox. That was a good game. Of course, yeah, they both, I've got to say, after a terrible eyesore of an FA Cup final, I then watch those last two games you mentioned, and they were fantastic. Portland Timbers, five straight wins. I mean, that team right now are a bold kaleidoscopic wonder, downing LAFC on a Samuel Armenteros winner, which honestly made my nipples tingle. And then Atlanta, stunned by an audacious New York Red Bulls, Bradley Wright Phillips, we love him, two exquisite goals with his beautiful bald head, BWP, for England, there's few things sadder to me in the world I realise watching this than Brad Guzan's bald head when he is just letting a goal. He's dived and, and failed to save it, and his shiny bald head is just covered in those black rubber pellets from the AstroTurf. It's a hard life for a Bill shaving. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Rod, your weekend looks like this. Noon Saturday, it's the championship playoff final. John Terry and Jack Grealish's. Aston Villa uh, <gasps> taking on Ryan Sessignon's uh, Fulham. Come on, Fulham. In the richest game in world football. That game is on ESPN+. Plus. If you haven't seen Sessignon play, you really want to see this. What is play. ESPN+. Plus? ESPN+. Plus. It's ESPN with a little plus sign is that, on the back. Is that a Perp Plus promo product placement? Just, just check for it on Fubo. Oh, then at 2.45pm Eastern time on Network Fox, it is the Champions League final from Kiev. Rog, can't wait to have you over here. Uh, at uh, at McGaff in West Hollywood. And Sunday in MLS at 6 p.m. Eastern time, Sporting Kansas City takes on third place in the East, Columbus Crew. <sighs> there are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, Rog, which has transformed into the Men in Blazers Bald Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Bald Mart, we get a tiny percentage that allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Bald Mart this week, Roger? Can I just break some news while we're taping this podcast? Yeah, Our book has only gone and overtaken the five languages, the secret to love that lasts. We're number 14, what? mate. Rod, are you actually checking our Amazon charts while we're taping the podcast? I do what every <laughs> agent tells their author not to do, which is to check their Amazon rating every 20... I check it every 20 minutes. It's terrible for your health. It is absolutely... For someone that's filled with anxiety, me, it is the most anxiety-inducing uh, activity. But any author who's listening will know that you cannot help yourself. But bloody, we're ahead of the keto diet, the book that I told J-Dubs we would never overtake, mate. <laughs> okay, what are you putting in the store, Rog? A book! Oh, is it our book? You think... Or is it the keto diet? Oh, no, it's a good... <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> it's got... How did you know it was the keto diet, the complete yeah. guide to a high-fat Leanne Vogel? It's You Think It, I'll Say It, by the great, the remarkable, the American treasure, Curtis Sittenfield. She is just a remarkable novelist. She is unleashing in this one her debut short story collection. It's a collection that minds a theme, the shift in power dynamics that can unhinge friendships, love, or work relationships. And like in almost every piece of fiction that I love, the past seeps into the present like a septic wound. False judgments are constantly being revealed. 
I love false judgments. I'm really for them. But above all, I just adore this book because I adore, I admire Curtis Sittenfeld's voice, her perceptiveness, her empathy as a writer. And spending time with this volume will make you a more self-aware human being, which is the highest tribute one can pay to a book and one that no one will ever say about the Encyclopedia Blazitanica, David. Uh, Rog, I've been going to a lot of parties recently, uh, doing a lot of dancing, really enjoyed my dancing recently. Um, and uh, had to go to an 80s party. My friends, H.T. Uh, and Marnie, had a joint 50th birthday party. It was fantastic. And it was an 80s dance night at a club in Hollywood. And you had to sort of go dressed in your 80s garb. What did I go and order? Of course, an Adidas Originals Men's Superstar track jacket in black with the white stripes and the Adidas Men's Originals Superstar track pants. Bargain. You can get them both for about $40. It's, I can't tell you, as an all purpose dancing outfit the black original trifoil adidas superstar tracksuit put it with a pair of superstars a pair of stan smiths go and buy yourself a kangol hat a pair of large 80s glasses add a gold chain if you wish that is a perfect dance hall dance club party outfit maybe don't wear it to a wedding maybe do michael davo meets run dmc king of rock era You've, you've buried the headline, though. We should, we'd should we be remiss if we didn't break to the GFOPs, the biggest news of the week. What, are we up to number 13 now? You did a 23 and me. Big news. Stand by, GFOPs. Your life's about to be rocked. Oh, my life's been rocked. What rocked. did you find? You found that, Davo, for those who don't know this, always has positioned himself as like the perfect mix of Welsh, Scottish and English blood. Tiny bit of French sprinkled in there. That's how Davos always thought about himself. And then he spat into a tube and... And maybe a bit of Viking because i got Peterson as the middle name, Rog. Here's what I found out. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll go in reverse order yep. of, like, of, of, of odd. One, I'm not really that British. And as my <laughs> British blood, a lot of it is Irish. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really about, of my sort of, you know, just over 50% British and Irish blood, at least a third of it is Irish. And we know that there's quite a lot of Scottish and Welsh. So really, I, I have no right to cheer for the England national team. Secondly, big news, big news. Thanks. Sit down, very, listeners. Sit down, sit down. I'm now go, David. Very, very pan-European. A lot more European than just the French. <laughs> Don't seem to have any Viking blood whatsoever, except for a bit of Finnish. Of all the things, are just a bit of Finnish. But the biggest, the biggest part of my European blood, Rog? Go on. <laughs> I'm Dutch. <laughs> I'm Dutch. Davo, Rog. Davo is Dutch. I am. It explains a lot. I've always loved Holland. I've always loved the Dutch people. I love cheese. I, I do feel that when I hear Dutch, I, could, I basically can understand it. Yep. It's just English with a German accent or a Dutch accent. You know, Wilkem on board, it says on, uh, on KLN, the Royal Dutch Airline. And I understand that immediately. It's welcome on board. Um, I love Dutch people. I've been going to Holland most of my life. I feel an affinity. I'm quite tall, Rog. I'm stealthy tall. Uh, sort of notching in just under 6'2", which is sort of average height in Holland. But I'm very Dutch, Rog. Yep. Dave was somehow are very Dutch. Louis van Gaal is all of our fathers, Dave. My, my, Michael van Davis, that is what you... Yeah. <laughs> what is this world twisted? This is your future. I've got to ask you, because I'm rocked by this news too. Are you yeah. suddenly proud of the liberal stance of the, the Netherlands takes on smoking marijuana and prostitution and suddenly <laughs> tremendously worried about how Everton are treating your future, Davy Klassen. 
Well, look, look, I've suddenly, uh, I've, I've, been, I've been pro into the legalization of marijuana and prostitution for a very long time, Rod. Hence my Dutchness. So, well, uh, it's how Embassy Row became a great company. I really have no, I really have no idea on, uh, I really have no idea about David Klassen. I must say, it's changed the way I look at my son, George, who's just growing inches every single day. He's a left-footed player. I'm teaching him the dodgy flapper move now. I'm teaching him Arjen Robbins' move. Because really, he could end up uh, playing for the Dutch national team. And you know what? Years ago, do you remember I bought him that Dutch national team jersey, the away jersey, the blue one with the orange with with, with the orange on it? He's like, you know, he's not going to get to follow his his uh, his his team Holland in the World Cup this year. But for future years, I, I believe that you are now really pushing Roman. You make very hard to make Frank de Boer the next Chelsea manager. No, but I care a lot about Marco van Ginkel all of a sudden. <laughs> I want to see what happens with him. Next week, I'm going to spit in the 23andMe tube and find out that I'm not Jewish. <laughs> I was hoping I was going to be Jewish. That was a great disappointment when I came to say to you. Is I was really hoping that finally for your kids, I was going to be able to say, oh, Uncle Dave, he's just, he's just he's a little bit Ashkenazi Jew. That would have been so good. And you're listening to my new podcast. It's Roger Bennett and the newly found Presbyterian Hour. <laughs> on Twitter at Men in Blazers at Embassy Davies at Roger Bennett on Instagram at Men in Blazers at Embassy underscore Davies on Facebook at Men in Blazers you can always send your ravens to the crap part of so you can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com Vendor Punk Rog More Pig Who wants to sex my tomboy? I like snacks Balls win Balls win Take that Gloria Balls lose To Tweed Abrogado rock on mate Kung Fu fighting America Love you Davo Love you Rog It's a hard life for a bilf <laughs> the Dutch one. We're number 14. <laughs>